Well, welcome to week four of our series we're calling Deep Change. In this series, what we've been helping you do and helping us, all of us do, you that are online, everyone, is, is to really help us understand why it's so hard to change and what to do about it. And so we've been leaning into this. This is the final message in this series. And, and uh, one of the things that will really help you continue to do that is, hey, small groups are open. Did you know that? So you can sign up for a small group, go to our website, and uh, sign up for a group this spring. We encourage you to do that. We've got a new group called Grief Share starting on Sunday nights, uh, starting in February. If you are struggling with grief or putting off dealing with grief, I highly encourage you to get in uh, that group. It'll be a blessing to you. And then next Sunday, we're beginning a new, new series on relationships. We're going to talk about some relationships you may never have thought of. And so I want to encourage you to come be a part of that series next Sunday. Amen? So all of that is to just remind us there's ways to keep the growth going. You've been changing. You've been developing. And we've covered a lot in this series. In week one, we learned that our emotions reveal our internal beliefs. And so what we do to experience deep change is we share our emotions with God and invite Him to change the internal beliefs that are tied to those emotions. And the practice there is to feel your feelings. Realize what you're feeling and take that to God. Amen? And then the week two, we looked at the idea that even though our sins are forgiven, we all got a past. And it doesn't change everything in your past. It changes your future. But you got to deal with the stuff from your past. And so week two, we talked about facing your past. And a lot of it has to do with all that, that part that's all part of all of us, family. Family. And so if you got family stuff going on, go to week two. And then last week, um, we learned that deep change really is helped, stabilized, and continues to work when our character is changed. And how do we change character? Through spiritual disciplines. And we gave you 15 different ones to choose there. Um, it's not a multiple, it's not a pick your favorite. It is pick what you need. Amen. And lean into that. And so the practice there was to, to change our habits. And so I want to encourage you, if you missed any of those messages, go listen to those on our website. It'll be a blessing. Matthew 22, and the whole purpose of this series is to help us do this better. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's something else that impacts our ability to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor well. We're going to talk about that today. And, and, and the issue is that often we're under the power of peer pressure. So I know I don't, I don't listen to anybody. No, just, just hold on here. In the 1950s, Solomon Ash, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he wanted to examine the power of peer pressure. And so he designed an experiment where one individual at a time was brought in a room with, and into a room of strangers, and it started out with just one other actor and the person in the room, and that person was an actor, so they were planted, okay? And so the group was shown um, one card with one line. Looks, take a line, right? Just a line. Then they were shown a second card with a series of lines, and they were asked to pick which one was closest to the first line. Pretty simple, right? Should have been easy. And so the first few times, the, the, the people in the room, they selected the right, the right line, and the people that the strangers they were with, they also selected the right line. But after the while, the actors that were in there with these 
these test subjects were told to select the incorrect line, the incorrect answer. And then all the other actors in the room that were there would all agree that that was the right answer. Even though it was clearly wrong. And so what happened is that test individual, that test subject that was in the room, would immediately become confused. You've been in this situation. Everybody else was saying one thing, and you were like, I don't, I don't know. And you'd give a little nervous laugh, right? You look around the room, check the reactions. You know, what's going on? What's the atmosphere? Gage reading the room, right? And so this was repeated several times in various ways. And what, what they found is that the test subject would, would begin to doubt themselves and in many cases choose the incorrect answer. They'd give in to the peer pressure, right? Even though they knew it was incorrect, they would go along with it. And this was repeated, like I said, several times. And he ran the test in numerous ways. And what he found was as the number of actors in the room increased, so did the test subjects' conformity to cave into the response of the room. So here's what he found. If it was one individual with an actor, the, the test subject assumed the other person in the room was wrong. It's called marriage, right? We, we all know how to do that, right? You're just wrong, right? Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But when they put two actors in the room with that one test individual, it was, it was pretty similar. But as the number of actors who selected the wrong answer in the room with that individual went from three to four all the way up to eight, the, the, sub, the test subject was more and more likely to second-guess themselves. Okay? By the end of the experiment, 75%, three out of four subjects, had agreed with the incorrect answer of the actors. There's so many things that we could talk about here. I just got to keep going. But here's the truth. Whenever we're unsure of how to act, we look to the majority to guide our behavior. We look to the majority to guide our behavior. In our society, it happens in so many subtle ways. It happens with advertising. happens with news. I mean, every time you're scrolling, every time you do like this on your phone and social media, you're finding out what appears to be the majority is doing. You say, no, 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 no. Yeah, okay. So somebody posted they were on vacation in the Bahamas, and it was a cold, miserable day in South Texas, and you stuck to that and said, man, I wish I was there. <laughs> look, look, and then somebody else, everybody gets to go but me, right? Only takes three or four, and all of a sudden you're starting to think that you're missing out on everything, right? So the, the issue is this, our, our ability or inability to withstand peer pressure directly affects our walk with Jesus and today's deep change practice, which is to embrace your limits. Embrace your limits. On the surface of me saying that, it sounds so right and yet also wrong at the same time because we live in a society that says we can have it all. Come on, Right? We can do it all. Just dream. You can be anything you want to be. Some of you are like, yeah. And feel the resistance rising in the room here. And we buy into it because everybody seems to be doing it. It's the way it is, right? So what do we do? We max out our schedules. We cut our sleep and rest. 
We snack and eat to overcome exhaustion. Come on. We buy it, but when we can't afford it, so our debt starts going up. We hurry from one activity to another, yet are rarely present because we're on our phones. What's the result of all this? In America, 18% of Americans use mood-altering substances every single day. 40 million suffer impairment due to anxiety, and that was before the pandemic. 39% of Americans report being more anxious than a year ago. Because, wow, we got to keep up with everybody. All this is going on. We say we want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength and our neighbors as ourselves, but we are so maxed out that we can neither love the Lord well nor our neighbor. We're just doing it all. Jason Isaacs in his book Deep Change says, We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more involved in the breaking news of the day than in character development and spiritual growth. We just say, yikes, together. John Piper says this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. He goes on, the greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Another, oh me. You can handle one more. Jason Isaac says this, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted, rushed, and indebted that we settle for a mediocre, half-hearted version of Christianity. Fact, rejecting sin was actually the first, uh, rejecting limits was actually the first sin in the Bible. It's the very first sin. See, God created Adam and and he gave him this perfect garden. I mean, we're getting into, you know, all this rain is going to produce some beautiful gardens here, right? And, and then and he didn't have any weeds to weed out. Everything just grew beautiful. And God said, it's not even good for you to be alone, so I'm going to make you the perfect spouse. I mean, can you imagine the perfect spouse? Say, so I've been thinking of trading in the one I got. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. There's no perfect spouses out there. Only thing you can work on is being the perfect spouse, right? But God also gave Adam and Eve a command. He said in Genesis 2.15, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. God had given Adam literally Everything he could have ever wanted. Everything. Including a daily walk with God in the garden. I mean, we all, God, I want to be closer to you. Adam had it. 
He had it. But just one limit, don't eat from the, the fruit from that tree. And yet even without sin being in the earth, Adam wanted it all. He thought he could have it all. He didn't want any limits. He wanted everything he could have. And as a result, he and Eve sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. And they surrendered not only their relationship with God, but they surrendered their own, listen to this, peace. Jason Isaac says this, a life without limits is a life without peace. We've got to have limits to have peace. So have you abandoned God's limits? Lost your peace? Something to think about. How do we, how do we engage in the practice of embracing our limits? I'm going to give you four things today and we'll be, we'll be through here. Here's the first one. Live by God's expectations. Stop letting the majority and everybody else tell you how to live. You don't have to live that way. Instead of measuring yourself by the, by the style, the accomplishments, the wealth, or some social media post, measure yourself by God's standard. Live like Jesus said in, in John 6, 38. I have come. He said, I have come down from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent me, not to do my own will. And we could say by implication or anybody else. In fact, Jesus was really good at not meeting the expectations of everybody else. He, 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 you know, everybody else thought, hey, set up this earthly kingdom. You're going to be the Messiah. He's like, no, not going to do that. He was living by different expectations. He was living by God's expectations. The story is told of a man who was embarking on a journey to live out not only his dream, but his master's dream. And he had to cross his bridge to get to that dream. And on the way across that bridge, he met a stranger that was coming towards him, holding this rope with a certain, you know, kind of a fairly long rope. And he was holding this rope. And as the stranger approached the man, he said, he said, sir, can, can you help me out here? W would you just hold this rope? And the man on the way to pursue his dreams, you know, have you ever had somebody do that? Before you could think, he just hey, he had a hold of the rope. Didn't take but a minute or two, and that man, that the stranger, went over to the side of the bridge, ran over the side of the bridge, and jumped off. Well, of course, the man that was on his way to pursue his dream was holding this rope, and he had to fight going. It, it pulled him right up to the railing on the side of the bridge. And it was hard to hold. He was trying to figure out how to hold it, and so... After a few minutes of getting his bearings, he hollered down to the man over the raging river below and the canyon below, and, and he said, what are you doing? What's going on? And the stranger hollered up. He's dangling by the rope on the other, and he said, just hold tight. Just hold tight. The man in pursuit of his dream and the master's dream soon realized that if he kept, up, kept doing this, he'd never get to his dream. Right? So he called to the stranger down below and he said, can you just start pulling yourself up on, from your end of the rope? And, and the man said, no, no, just, just hold tight. The dreamer said, how, how about if you start wrapping that rope around you so, so you don't, you know, you, it's easier to just kind of roll your way up, if you will. And, and the stranger said again, no, 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 just hold tight. Finally, the man with the dream said, what do you want from me? And the man, the stranger below said, 
just your help. Just your help. Now the dreamer realized that there was no way to help the man. He could not pull the stranger up and the stranger would not help himself and no one else was on the bridge to help. So he called down for the stranger to make an effort because he said, I cannot hold on much longer. The stranger below replied, if you let go, I will die. Finally, the man with the dream on the bridge had an idea. He hollered down saying this, listen carefully. I will not accept the position of choice for your life. Only my own. From this moment on, I give you the power of choice for your own life. I will help you get back up, but you must do your part. The, dang, the stranger dangling from the rope below said, How could you be so selfish? I am your responsibility. After a long silence, the man on the bridge let go of the rope and went to pursue his master's dream. Some of you are shocked. Like, how could he let go of the rope? The reality is that you and I may be living by the expectation of others. In reality, they're doing nothing to help themselves. That's called people-pleasing. People-pleasing. And somehow, and it's all twisted, but somehow we feel responsible. We're the one that takes the blame. So here's the thing to remember. We are not responsible to do for others what they will not take responsibility to do for themselves. But aren't we supposed to love our neighbor? Jesus said emphatically, yes. But the way we do it most effectively is by embracing our limits and instead living to fulfill God's expectations. Then, from a healthier place, God can flow through us. So here's the first thing. Live by God's expectations. Live by His expectations. Here's the second thing. Learn to stride. It's interesting that when you read the Bible, you know, Jesus had a lot to do. I mean, if you think about it from his perspective, he had to fulfill hundreds of prophecies. I mean, just to make sure the Old Testament, all those prophecies came through, true, he had to make sure he did a whole bunch of things, right? I'm not sure he knew all of those, but he was following his father. And so, so you know, he got them done. He, he had to train up disciples. I mean, a bunch of knuckleheads. In three years. And then he was going to turn the whole thing over to them and say, go reach the world, right? But yet, in all of that, we never see in the Bible where it says, Jesus ran. And all the non-runners in the world said, yeah, that's right. If you see me running, get whatever's behind me, you know. But Jesus, Jesus was never in a big hurry. He, he didn't run from Jerusalem to Galilee. In fact, when he got news that his best friend was on his deathbed, Jesus waited a couple days. He just wasn't in a rush. And yet we can't go to a meal. We can't even sit in church sometimes. Nobody's done this today. But we can't sit five minutes without a notification going off on our phone. We pick it up. What's going on? Jesus wasn't rushed. 
Jesus lived with a focus and intensity of purpose like no other because the condition of all of mankind depended on him getting this right. Yep, he's not running. What's he doing? He's hanging out with people. They're spending time with people. Incredible. So the question is, how do we get there? I'm not going to say we're going to be exactly like Jesus, so don't get that. But, you know, we can, we can stop striving and we can, we can learn to stride, right? So that's the first thing, stop striving. There's a, there's a verse that most of us know very well in Psalm 46.10, and, and we know it as, be still and know that I am God. But I love what the New American Standard Version says, stop striving and know that I am God. It goes on. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. To strive is to make a great effort to obtain or to achieve something. I mean, striving is not all, always bad. The Bible does tell us to strive for certain things, which we don't have time to go into. But, but most of us, we get so wrapped up and we violate all the limits in our life because we're striving for the wrong things. We strive to get more wealth than somebody else, to make our kids get ahead of somebody else's kids. We try to, you know, look like we have a happier marriage than somebody else. It's always, it's always about the others. We're competing against. No, just stop striving and instead do this. Learn to stride. Learn to stride. To stride is to walk, not run, with long, decisive steps in a specific direction. Some of us, we're running, we're just instead of striding into God's purpose. For three years, without trying to meet all the expectations of people were putting on him, Jesus just simply took strides towards the cross. That's what he was doing. In fact, he never felt like he was behind. He was always on schedule. I've had to repent. I mean, one of my big phrases, I don't have time for that. Right? Kim's heard it thousands of times, right? We all have things. We're, we're not Jesus. Usually when we feel behind, it's an indication we're trying to prove something. Listen carefully. Often to ourselves. We're trying to prove that we're good enough, strong enough, loved enough. Striving. So what's causing, what's causing you to strive? instead of to stride. See, when we give up striving for the wrong things, we'll have the time, energy, and resources to stride for the right things. Amen. That's the thing. This, that's what Apostle Paul did in Philippians 3.13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. This, everyone say, this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Not just Him. Us. Amen? Apostle Paul says, I'm pursuing what really matters in my life. So, so how, how can we embrace this important, you know, and, and make this switch to embrace our limits? Let's go to the third thought. And that is this, develop a Sabbath rhythm, a Sabbath rhythm. Learn, learn to Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath in the Old Testament ran from Friday night to Saturday night, 24 hours of rest, withdrawing from daily activity, enjoying God, family, and friends. I love, I love what uh, P. 
Peter Scazzaro said, the Sabbath is when you let go of the illusion that you are indispensable to the running of the world. You recognize that you will never finish all your goals and projects and that God is on the throne managing the universe quite well without your help. <laughs> the older I get, the more I think about the idea that there's so much more I want to do, but I may run out of runway. So, God, what do you want me to do now? That's the way we need to be thinking. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So it's not a religious thing. So he says, Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath for you, for me, for us. In fact, God himself was, was so wonderful at setting it up. He said, I'll be the example. I'm going to create everything in six days. He did a pretty good job. And he rested the seventh. Amen? Now, just to be clear, I'm not advocating a specific day of the week. But I'm advocating a block of time, hopefully a day, that you can do this. Most of you, that's Sunday, but it doesn't have to be. I don't have time to tell this. Will you give me a little time to tell this? Okay, it only takes one person nodding their head around here, so that's how it works. I don't give in to peer pressure, right? So, um, but, but, but here's the thing. I had a college professor, and she strictly observed the Sabbath. She was single. She would get up in the morning, and she would talk about wrapping herself in a blanket and getting on the floor with her Bible and her worship music, and she would just, she was one of the best professors I ever had, but she was never in a hurry. She just, she got an incredible, she was very accomplished, but she did it using uh, a Sabbath, right, to, to guide her life. St. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's so good. Until we learn to rest in God, we're not going to truly rest. Because some of you have a day off, and you come back in worse condition than before the day off. And then you said, well, I just as well work because it doesn't help me anyway. Right? So how do we, how do we Sabbath? Let me give you a few things um, real quickly. Number one, acknowledge your dependence on God. God, I need you. So spend time on the spiritual disciplines we mentioned last week. Um, you know, if it's Sunday, come to church. Really, come to church. And you that are online, I love you. But, but we never do, we don't do online just so we can, we can get more done on our Sunday. And I can just do it in an hour. And I can watch, listen to pastor. And then I can go about and get the lawn mode and do all that other stuff I want to do. That's not Sabbathing. Maybe that's not your Sabbath. But I want to just encourage you, come to church. Right? Don't, make it, don't say so I can squeeze more into my schedule. That just tells me you need to embrace your limits. Right? Here's something else to do with our Sabbath. Don't do what you normally do in daily life. So if you normally check emails, don't check email on your Sabbath. I'm still trying on that one. Stop creating task lists. Oh, it's my day off. Let's think about everything I've not gotten done. Don't make it an errand day. Just stop the normal. Number three. Do something life-giving to you. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's taking a nap. Amen. You know? <laughs> Do something life-giving. Read your Bible and make it restful. That's number four. Make it restful. The whole, whole idea is to turn away from the daily grind and do something rest, restful. Walter Brueggemann said it best. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. 
So what's that going to do for you? I think when we get a Sabbath routine in our lives, it's going to help us experience what we've been reading every week in this series out of Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So to embrace our limits, live by God's expectations, learn to stride, practice the Sabbath, and here's number four, replace the temporary with the eternal. As we learn to embrace our limits, what we do is we create space in our life for more of God and more of what God wants. And that's the, we're trying to fit God into everything else we're doing. It doesn't work that way. We've got to recognize that God wants to be right in the, in the middle of all of that. So we got to stop striving for all the temporary stuff and just say, God, what do you want me to have time and focus on that will matter for eternity? Make a difference for eternity. And really, the one, only thing from this world that's going to last for eternity, it begins with a P, it's called people. That's it. That's the only thing that's going from this old place to heaven. So in this series, we've talked for four weeks now about personal change. I want to turn a little corner here as we wrap up. What about deep change for His Place Family Church? Well, first of all, I would tell you, the church is not a building. The church is the people. We're the church. So if you're deeply leaning into deep change, then the church, by definition, is transforming to be more like God. I like that. I think that's what God's calling us to do. But one of the ways to gauge the eternal is to help create what I'm calling His Place 3.0. So what's 1.0? 1.0 was the early years we launched, and then in the first six years of the church, we, uh, uh, in the first eight years of the, no, the first six years in the, no, what is it? Six places in eight years. I'll just say it that way. I have to read my notes. So we met six different places in the first eight years. That's what I would call His Place 1.0. We were portable. His place 2.0, when we revisioned, God led us out of really an inner city ministry. We had a bus ministry. Uh, we had a youth center. We were doing all those kinds of things. And he said, get out into spring. And God led us to this building, provided this location miraculously. But, but that, that 2.0 includes uh, seasons of healing and restoration. There were some hard things that happened in those first six years that were really, really, six, eight years were really, really difficult. And then not only was it, you know, healing and restoration, but also renovation. This old, this, this old building looked like an old building when we got in it. And it, it just, it just needed a lot of work. And so all, we've taken all those steps. I would say his place 2.5 was the pandemic, 2020 to 2022. But now it's time for 3.0. It's time to take the next step. So I actually believe we, we stand at the doorway to, to really a great, a great future that God has for us. And it's going to allow us to be more effective ministering to you and reaching people in our community. I read this week that in the seven zip codes that surround our church, including the, the zip code we're in, this community has grown by 50,000 people in the last five years. 
Now you said, well, I don't understand traffic. <laughs> but 50,000 people. And most of them aren't in a church anywhere. Right? They're, they're not in a church anyway. And so, so what we're going to do is, we, as a church, we've been unaware of our limits. I didn't know this limit. But we've been unaware of our limit. And so what we're going to do in His Place 3.0 is we're going to embrace our limits to become more effective for Jesus. So here's, here's, here's what the Bible says in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You may not know this, but there's several hundred nations represented in the greater Houston area and, and languages from hundreds of nations spoken in the greater Houston area. And so as, as a leadership team, last fall, we began working on His Place 3.0. And I want to invite all of you, all of you, online as well, to be part of this journey. So here's what, here's what I'm going to ask. Tonight, if you're interested in being part of the His Place 3.0 journey, I want you to show up here at 4 o'clock. We've already got a team night planned for our dream team, but I'm inviting everybody. If you want to know what's going on, if you want to be, understand what the limits are and how we're going to move forward, I, I just invite you to come out tonight at 4 o'clock. We're going to have child care. We'll have snacks. Come on. And we're going to, we're going to begin the journey moving to 3.0, and, and, and so we'll take those steps uh, starting today. So I've got two, two next steps for you today. First of all, embrace your limits and focus on the eternal. And the second thing, if you're willing and you're interested, come at 4 o'clock. Just come at 4 o'clock. And help us begin the process of the understanding, laying the groundwork for His Place 3.0. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we come to you today and uh, we've all got limits. Some of us kind of refuse to embrace them and, and we're tired, we're worn out. We don't have the right things in the right places in our life. And Father, we just admit it that we're, some of us, we're adrenaline junkies, we're workaholics, we're do too much kind of people. But Father, I just ask that you would help us to embrace our limits so that we can focus on the eternal. Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, maybe you're sitting here today and you say, you know, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never given my life to Him. I've never surrendered my life to Him. I've just been doing life, doing it my way. I want to invite you, whether you're here, whether you're online with us, Make a decision to give your life to Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins, all the big ones, the ones you have a hard time with, and everything else. And so I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with those of us who've already made that decision. And uh, as you pray this prayer from your heart, believe in God, He's going to do a work in your life. So just say this with me if you want to pray this prayer. Say it with those who've already made the decision. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to make me a new person from the inside out. God, I turn away from that old life and I turn to you. God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. And so today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made that decision?